Yeah, thank you so much for being here today. Can we just celebrate the folks who've led us in worship today? Great job this morning. I'm so thankful for you. It's so good to see everybody today. I hope you're doing well. My name is Chad and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and it's exciting to see what God's doing in the life of our church. This morning Jonathan Watts uh, has been in uh, in Owasso at our Owasso campus because that's just the way God has led our church to be, right? We get to be that church that's in multiple locations. This morning we got to sing in Spanish as well as in English, so now we're not just a church in multiple locations, we're in multiple languages and I'm so thankful for that. What a beautiful thing that is and I just hope to see that advance as time progresses and that's really good. Misael today is preaching at a friend's church in Shawnee and Pastor Chris is preaching in Owasso so there's a lot of preaching going on in a lot of different places and I'm just grateful for the way that you've prayed for each and every one of us and, and just for the this week and, and what's taken place. It's always a privilege to be here and to be a part of what God's doing wherever it is that he's moving. I want to say, uh, I want to introduce someone to you and I want to say thanks. Uh, first of all, I don't know if you recognize this, those of you who have been at Calvary for a while, but this is the podium that Johnny Kurtzinger preached from every Sunday he was preaching here. And so Miss Kathy was kind to bring this up to us and let us use this today. So I'm privileged to be able to, to use this podium today and, and into the future. And, and hopefully it makes me more interesting. <laughs> um, I know, hopefully that's what that does. And then um, you might want to turn the house lights on for this, but my mom is here today. She's right back there sitting next to my sons and my, my wife. And so I just want to say thanks for being here, Mom. I'm glad. Um, if you have rotten fruit to throw during the sermon this morning, just direct it her way. It's her fault. It's all her fault. No, that's good. Well, it's great to see you. And, and uh, today we're going to be at, at the end of Matthew chapter 27. It's where we're going to begin today. At the end of Matthew chapter 27, we're in a series leading up to our Easter Sunday. And it's a series called Resurrection Encounters. We're actually seeing different people who had this remarkable encounter with Jesus. Not simply while he was alive, but while he was alive again, right? So Jesus came, he lived a life just like we live. He died on the cross, he suffered a criminal's death on the cross, he was, he was uh, abused and all of those things died on the cross. And then he did exactly what he said he would do, he rose again. And after he rose again, there were lots of eyewitnesses. There were lots of people who experienced that and encountered that. And so that's, that's where we are in our series and we're leading up to Easter and it just really begs the question, have you had a resurrection encounter? More specifically, let me see if I can narrow the focus away from the resurrection for just a minute and just ask if you've ever had the kind of encounter that you just can't wait to tell someone about. Have you ever had an encounter like that where you've just, you've, something happened and you just, man, I can't wait to tell somebody. Maybe you met a celebrity or maybe you got to go somewhere cool or, or do something awesome. I had an encounter once right here in Tulsa. It was in Utica Park. It was in Utica Park about 26 years ago. When um, I met my lovely bride in the park and we exchanged uh, Christmas gifts is what we exchanged. Now the picture that you see when it comes up is not, uh, is not a picture of us exchanging Christmas gifts. Because we, we, we did this on uh, December 23rd, but uh, the photographer didn't want to be that cold. So he waited till the spring and took some pictures of us. But we had this encounter where I, I gave her a Christmas gift and she gave me a Christmas gift. For some reason, my friend Mark Ham always remembers what she gave me that Christmas. She gave me a suit. Uh, that suit and tie, coat and tie, which was really nice. That was awesome. I gave her a little Precious Moments figurine 
And the little precious moments figurine was of a little boy down on one knee with a ring saying, will you marry me? And he had a sign that said, please check this box, yes or no. I still would like to know your answer. <laughs> that would be an encounter that I just can't wait to tell people about. I love talking about that. And, uh, and, and I hope that you've had encounters like that as well. So uh, I guess the flip side of that question, though, would be, have you ever had an encounter that you just hope... You hope no one ever knows about. You just kind of keep it to yourself. And it's the kind of encounter that maybe makes you a liar for life, right? You're just, I'm just going to keep this covered up as best as I can. I, I, I'll tell you that, I, that I'm going to tell you a story about an encounter that I wish I could have kept covered up, but I didn't uh, very well. I was at my granddad's house, my grandfather's house in Oklahoma City. And I was, I was younger than Dawson. Dawson's 11, but I was younger than my youngest son. I was probably six or seven but uh, I was just outside, and I was the the street seemed really big to me. It just seemed really big, so I was throwing cars. Or no, no, not cars. I was throwing rocks. I am that strong, by the way. Um, I was throwing rocks across the street, and then a car came down the street, and I thought, well, I wonder if I could throw this rock over that car. So the first car comes down the street, and man, it just sails, and it goes right over the car, and I was so excited. I can throw rocks over cars and make it just fine. So the next car came and I did it. And then the third car came. And as it was coming down the street, I was thinking, I wonder if I could hit a moving target. I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could do that. And so, whack, I hit that car. And man, it was awesome. In the moment, I'm like, yes, I can hit a moving target. And then it pulled into the driveway next to us. And I was like, oh, no. And I ran inside. I ran past my grandparents. I ran past my parents. They had no idea what was going on. I ran to the furthest back bedroom, slammed the door. It didn't have a lock on it, but I wish it had. And I hid down behind the bed because that would be an encounter I didn't want anybody to know about. But that driver <laughs> kindly came to the front door of the house and knocked on it, and I got spankings, and that was awesome. My granddad was really offended. He thought that guy should have just kept on driving. It wasn't a big rock, and I'm not a big kid. And so, um, but that was one of those encounters I kind of wish I could have kept my, to myself. You know, we've all had encounters like that, right? Encounters that we want to talk about and encounters we wish had never happened, right? And so today, with the resurrection... As we think about who Jesus is and his life and his death and his burial and the fact that he lives again, have you had an encounter with the resurrected Christ? And is that an encounter you want to tell people about? Or is that an encounter you are desperately trying to avoid or to ignore or that you just wish never happened? So let's look at the word. Let's look at what, uh, what the passage of scripture for today says. Actually, before we look at that passage of Scripture, there's a quote that I want us to hear. And it's an important quote because I think it shapes the way we think about the resurrection. And it, thinks, uh, it shapes the way we think about Jesus. And as I look out across this particular congregation, I'm looking at many of you thinking to myself, you all know who Jesus is. And you've trusted in Jesus, many of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And you believe the resurrection is true. But for some of you, I'm not sure. Some of you, I don't know what you believe or how you believe. I don't know if you're interested. I don't know if this is one of those things that you just kind of go, hey, I like the people. That's why I come to church. But this whole resurrection thing and Jesus is the Son of God... I'm just not sure if I'm down with that. Well, let me just read something to you. There's a pastor named Timothy Keller, and he has a quote that I just think is great, and it's about Jesus. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. And so it's just, it's kind of basic logic, right? At the, guy, at, at the point that some guy looks at me and says, hey, I'm going to rise from the dead, I can sort of laugh him off <laughs> until he does, right? I can sort of laugh that guy off as a little bit crazy, a little bit weird, maybe a little unhinged. I can laugh that guy off until he actually follows through with it and comes back from the dead. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came and people saw it and experienced it and encountered it. And so the truth of the matter is, whether you like what Jesus had to say or not, if he came back from the dead, you should pay attention to every word he said. And if he didn't, well, then it's like Paul said. If he didn't really rise from the dead, then those of us who are Christians, well, we are the most in the world to be pitied, right? Because we've followed this lie. But I can, assert, I can assure you, Jesus, he came back from the dead. And as a result of that, as a result of that, we need to pay close attention to, to what it is that, that he said and what it is that he's done. And so that, here's the thing I want us to see inside uh, uh, this whole time together today and inside this passage of Scripture today. Every encounter with Jesus... Every encounter with Jesus moves you to choose. Every encounter with Jesus moves people to choose. And so that's what you're here. That's what's going to happen to you today, right? We're going to talk about the resurrected Savior. And in just a little bit, you're going to have an opportunity to make a choice. Now, that choice may be public. You may come forward. You may pray at an altar. You may tell someone about it. It may be private. It may be personal. It may be about someone that you need to call or someone that you need to talk to. But there's a choice that you're going to make. And you're going to make that choice because you're going to listen to the words of this, of this book. You're going to listen to the words of the Bible. And you're going to have this encounter with the truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And now you get to choose. Do I believe it? And if I believe it, what am I going to do about it? And if I'm doing something about it, should I tell someone about it? And if I'm going to tell someone about it, what am I going to say? Every encounter with Jesus moves you to choose. So let's take a look at this passage of Scripture. We're going to read it one section at a time because it's a fairly long passage. And so there's three or four different sections we're going to see today. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66. And one of the things that we like to do in order to honor the reading of God's word in the context of a worship service is we like to stand when we read his word at this moment. So go ahead and stand with me. When I get finished reading this, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you respond by saying, praise be to God. And that's just one more way we can express our worship and trust in God. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 through 66 says, the next day, that is the day after the crucifixion, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, Have you... You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, as I read this passage of Scripture, and as we're going to see, we're going to see three groups of people today. We'll see some Pharisees, we'll see some Roman soldiers, and we'll see some women who were there to, to, to really minister to the body of Jesus because they believed he was dead too. 
But all three of the groups of people that we're going to see today are lost. They're, they're all lost, but they're lost in different kinds of ways. Have you ever been lost? You, you've had these encounters, but you've had these moments where you're trying to follow your GPS and your GPS tells you the wrong directions, right? Because that's how that always works, that the GPS tells you the wrong directions or it tells you to exit at the wrong time and you take the wrong, or tell, you're trying to get someplace that's not available on GPS and so you end up just lost because you just can't find your way. Or guys, maybe you're, the only reason you're lost is because your wife is navigating, does that ever happen? Or maybe, ladies, the only reason you're, lo- you're lost is because your husband is driving. <laughs> right? Hey, don't, you don't have to say amen to that. That's okay. Um, and so we're going to see three different kinds of lost people here today. Three kinds of people who are lost. Sometimes you're lost because you don't listen. Sometimes you're lost. Man, there's that moment when you go on a vacation and you just kind of go away to get away you just turn off the phone and you're that was awesome timing the spirit is in this place right that is awesome timing um you turn you turn off the phone you're getting away from work you're getting away from school you're getting away from everyone and you're just getting lost right it's not that you don't know where you are it's that no one else knows where you are and that's kind of okay for for a season because you just just need to rest and relax right Sometimes you get lost because you're in the middle of doing something and, and it's just so all-encompassing. It's just all, so Your attention is just so focused that you look up and hours have passed and so you've just been lost in the moment, right? There are different kinds of lost. We're going to see those three different kinds of lost today and it begs the question, what, are you, what kind of lost are you? When I look at this passage, that first section of the passage, it's the day after the crucifixion, the day after the preparation day, and now the Pharisees are concerned, Right? The Pharisees are concerned because they heard Jesus teach and they saw the miracles that he did. And I just find it fascinating that they didn't believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. They didn't believe that he was Messiah. Yet they felt the need to go to Pilate, to go to the, the, the secular government and say, hey, you need to help us out here. We need to seal the stone and set the guard. Could you do that? And they did that. And part of what's fascinating to me about the Pharisees asking that, making that request, it's actually right there in verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. You know, the Pharisees, if you'll remember, the Pharisees were the ones who believed that a resurrection was possible. In the New Testament, there's this time when they're challenging Jesus and Jesus recognizes that in the crowd, some of them are Pharisees and some of them are Sadducees. And rather than directly answering their questions, he speaks up about the resurrection, about how the resurrection is true. And he gets the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're now debating not Jesus, they're debating each other because the Sadducees didn't believe that a resurrection was possible, but the Pharisees did. And in this moment, it's not the Sadducees who don't believe in a resurrection that are asking for the for the stone to be sealed and the, and, the, and the guard to be set. It's the Pharisees who believe that it's possible. It's possible for a resurrection to happen. That are going to the, the, to the, to the government saying, hey, I need your help to seal the stone and, and set the guard. And I think it's because in their heart of hearts, they believed it was possible, but they didn't want to believe that it could possibly be him. 
They believed it was possible for someone. They believed that the resurrection was imminent, but they didn't, they didn't want it to be Jesus who would be raised from the dead. They didn't want it to be Jesus who was the Messiah. They didn't want to believe that because somehow that would diminish their power or their authority. Somehow that would diminish their influence. And so what they did is they went to Pilate and they said, hey, we need to seal the stone and set the guard. We need to take it and make it virtually impossible for someone to come out of that tomb. Let's seal the stone and set the guard. Maybe you describe yourself as a spiritual person. But you just don't really know about this whole church business. Maybe you describe yourself as a spiritual person and you like Jesus, but you're not sure that he really is the only way to get to heaven. Maybe you're a spiritual person, maybe you're a thoughtful person, maybe you're a person of science or you're a person of philosophy or you're a person of, well, fill in the blank with your personal thing, but somewhere in you, you just can't find it. You can say all kinds of good things about Jesus, but you just can't go far enough to say that he really is the Son of God, or you just can't go quite far enough to say that you believe that he is the Savior, that he is the one and only way to the heavenly father. Maybe you, you, you believe all kinds of good things about people and people are inherently this or inherently that, but you just can't cross that bridge to say, but I believe Jesus really did rise from the dead. What kind of lost are you? Well, if that's you, you're the kind who have sealed the stone and set the guard. Have you done that? Have you sealed the stone and set the guard? Are you looking for excuses? Are you looking for reasons why you can't possibly believe in this? It's really funny. When I was a junior in in college, I got to go to Israel. And while I was in Israel, we got to go to the Temple Mount, which is now the Dome of the Rock. That's where the Muslim holy site is, the Dome of the Rock is. That's where the temple was. And on the eastern side of that whole plaza, there's a gate, and it's the eastern gate. It's the eastern gate of the temple. Now, in in New Testament prophecy, and, and I'm not exactly certain... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not exactly certain that it's worth really arguing about when does Jesus come back and how does he come back. I just know that he comes back, right? We know that he does come back. And the description of what happens when he comes back is really clear. He arrives at the same place he left. Well, he left the Mount of Olives. So he, he arrives back on the Mount of Olives. He walks through the Valley of Gehenna. So there's the Mount of Olives. Then there's Mount Zion. The Temple Mount is on the top of Mount Zion. So he arrives on the Mount of Olives. He walks through the Valley of Gehenna. Gehenna in scripture has always been a symbol for hell. So he walks literally through what is the symbol of hell. Comes into Mount Zion and he walks up to the eastern gate of what at that time will be the rebuilt temple. And he walks through the eastern gate to go into the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, that's where the enemy, that's where Satan, the Antichrist, has made himself at home, even though it's not his home because it's the temple. And in the Holy of Holies, it's the abomination of desolation. It's the place where Satan has said, now the whole world will worship me. And I believe what happens is Jesus, when he returns, goes through the eastern gate, walks into the Holy of Holies, and says to Satan, essentially, Excuse me, you're sitting in my chair. <laughs> and that's the Battle of Armageddon and all the things happen there. And I think it's just in a snap. I think it's just over. But what's really interesting to me is here we are. I'm a junior in college. I'm standing on the Temple Mount. There's the Eastern Gate. And they won't let us go see it. Now, they don't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. And they don't really believe that he's Messiah. But right now, that entire area is governed by people who are Muslim. They don't believe he's coming back, but they've walled it up. So at some point in history, they, they bricked it up, the whole gate. They don't believe he's coming back, but just in case, they, they bricked it up. They don't believe he's coming back, but they've put a, a, a graveyard, a, a burial site 
for Muslim people right in front of the Eastern Gate. They've done that because they don't believe that any good, faithful, practicing Jewish person would walk across a Muslim grave. They don't believe he's coming back, but they put the grave right in front of the Eastern Gate and they've walled up the Eastern Gate. They don't believe he's coming back, but they do have armed guards there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And on that particular day, they were nervous about some of the things that were going on in town. And so they wouldn't even let us tourists go see it. But they don't believe he's coming back, right? They've sealed the stone, and they've set the guard. And I wonder if that's you. Are you like the Pharisees? Have you so hardened your heart to the concept or to the idea that this supernatural work of Jesus Christ could possibly be true? That this one man could look to you and see all of the brokenness of your life and actually do something about it? He said he could. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. And then he proved it when he rose from the dead. If the resurrection didn't happen, then that's just a bunch of hooey. But look at this, the resurrection happened. And even the people, the Pharisees, who believed it, who wanted to believe it the most, believed it the least, and they sealed the stone and set the guard. I wonder if that's you. Have you hardened your heart towards the idea that Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love and he wants something miraculous for you. He wants to bring you alive from being dead spiritually. And here's the, here's the thing that I think is just beautiful about what God does. You might think to yourself, there's no hope for me. I've done too much. I've hardened my heart too frequently. I, you don't know. All those, those encounters that you want to see, that you wish I could keep secret for the rest of my life, you don't know how many of those there are. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know how broken I am. You don't know how hard my heart is. Well, look at the miracle that God talks about. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six says this. It says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so can I tell you, if, you're, if you've hardened your heart, if you're one of those one who's, who's sealed the stone and set the guard, could I just ask you to relax and recognize that as hard as your heart may be, as difficult as your circumstances may be, as much as you may think and doubt and deny and wonder and wish, as much as all of those anxieties are real and a part of your heart, can I tell you that your God is bigger that this one who rolled the stone away from the tomb is more than capable of breaking the seal of the stone on your heart and breaking through all of the excuses that you have for why you wouldn't follow or why you wouldn't believe or why you wouldn't obey or why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't. And when he does it, it's not just that he removes the stone. It's that he replaces it with his heart of flesh. Would you surrender See, that's the Pharisees that we see in Matthew chapter 27. And then we keep going into Matthew chapter 28. These are more witnesses, eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to read from two different sections here because the next people we see aren't simply the, the Pharisees, but it's the Roman soldiers. 
the soldiers they employed as the guard to keep watch over what was going on. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 4 say this. It says, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. (laughs) I think that's a funny detail. (laughs) I'm just going to roll this back and have a seat. You know, that's just one of those funny details. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So the Roman soldiers were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They saw the miraculous happen. They experienced the earthquake. They were there and they watched him have a seat on the stone. I think that's amazing. Skip down to verses 11 through 15. Here's what happens next with the Roman soldiers. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Isn't that amazing? Some of them went and told the Pharisees what happened. Hey, the stone, it rolled away. There was an angel. His face was like lightning. There was this huge crack of thunder and earthquake. And then then I was scared and I crashed for a little bit and then they're just going through this whole story and then look at verse 28 or excuse, verse 15 from chapter 28 here's what they did some of them they took the money and did as they were directed and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day you see for the Pharisees they sealed the tomb and they set the guard but for the Roman soldiers here's the question will you sell your faith because it's safe Will you do that? That's what some of the Roman soldiers did. You see, it was dangerous to be a Roman soldier who failed in his duties. At best, a Roman soldier who failed in his duties was demoted, right? And they were given the the trashiest job that their commander could possibly find. At, At best, you were demoted, right? You lost rank, you lost responsibility, you lost pay, and you got the worst of the worst jobs. That's at best. At worst, it was death. A guard that could not fulfill his duties was put to death. You actually, if you remember in the book of Acts, there's this scene where Paul is in prison and an earthquake comes and the, the, the prison is opened up and, and then the Roman soldier sees that, well, the prison is open because of the earthquake and so I'm going to be killed anyway. And so he starts to kill himself and Paul stops him. No, 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 wait, we're all still here. What a miracle that is. So that, that's just an example of the way the Roman centurions, their lifestyle worked. For you to fail was to be demoted or it meant death. One of those two things. And so as a result of it, they were scared. They were afraid. I've failed. I've seen something miraculous and remarkable. But I just can't get past the reality of this moment to say that it's true. Will you sell your faith because it's safe? I wonder how many of us have refused to recognize the resurrection of Jesus in our own lives simply because we're afraid of what our friends are going to think. I wonder how many of us have refused to share the gospel with someone because right now the reputation of the church in our American culture is a little bit sullied, right? 
we have the kind of reputation that isn't as attractive as it once might have been. And so there are people who would go, oh, you go to a church? Oh, you go to a Baptist church? You must be a, and fill in the blank with all the most popular negative stereotypes we can fill in today. You must be a narrow-minded. You must be a, well, fill in the blanks. And so at work or at school or on the ball field or wherever your hobbies lie, instead of boldly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, you just kind of take a step back and for the price of your reputation or for the price of a simple conversation, you just refuse to recognize that the resurrection is true. And the thing your friend needs the most The thing your boss needs to hear the most. The thing that student or that teacher or that counselor, the thing that that doctor, the thing that that person that you care about needs to hear the most is the thing you ignore the most. And you sell your faith because it's safe. I wonder, is that you? Is that the kind of lost you are? Are you the kind of person who's willing to sell your faith? Because it's safe. It's actually one of those, one of the part of the passages that I find encouraging. Um, Right there at verse 11. While they were going, the Roman soldiers, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the priests all that had happened. I just think that's awesome. The some of the guard, not all of the guard. I wonder if there are some of the guard that this just absolutely wrecked their life. I wonder if it wrecked their life, but not in a bad way. I wonder if it wrecked their life in an eternally good way because they refused to go to the Pharisees and they refused to take the money. And they did take the demotion or they did have to live their lives on the run because death was an option. I wonder, I don't know, Scripture doesn't really outline what the effect was for the some that didn't go to the Pharisees, but it makes it clear that some didn't. And I can tell you, whatever penalty they faced in this life, was a promise was a promise of something godly and wonderful in the next. And so rather than selling their faith, somehow I believe some of them may have become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me that when Paul shows up in Rome to tell the story of his faith, there are already people there who believe that the resurrection is true. Some of them are in the household of Caesar and their centurions and their soldiers and their their servants. And some of them, before Paul ever shows up, they already have a faith in Jesus Christ to believe that the resurrection is true. And I wonder if the reason why wasn't because of some of these that didn't go see the Pharisees and that didn't sell their faith. You know, one of the challenges of selling your faith, because it's safe, is that you risk these moments where you make these decisions that are like those encounters you never want to talk about. You just don't want anybody to know. So you stop talking about it, and all of a sudden you risk becoming a liar for life. You make this one decision, and as a result of it, you walk away from your integrity, and now every time you tell the story, you've got to shape the story a little bit differently. Or you ignore the story altogether. Some of you may have done some things when you were younger, maybe when you were in college, maybe when you were in high school, that when you have kids, or if you have kids, they're the kinds of things that you just hope no one ever finds out. And when it comes up, you feel like, now I have to lie about it one more time. 
I wonder, are you making the kind of choices? Are you that kind of person that's willing to sell your faith because it's safe? You know, you don't have to be that person. No matter how bad whatever it was you did in the past, no matter how terrible it was, no matter how little you want to talk about it, you can confess that to your heavenly father and this one who rose from the dead can make those things whole. He can forgive your sin. He can make it as though you never sinned. He can put right what once went wrong and that heart of stone he replaces with a heart of flesh and because of the heart of flesh, now you can be free from that thing that's tying you down from that truth that's got you enslaved, from that experience, that encounter, that decision, that choice, that person, that relationship, that financial decision that you made that you hope no one ever finds out about, you can just be honest with God. And, and Christ can bring the healing. Does it happen overnight? Not, not usually, but sometimes. Does it happen quickly? Not usually, but sometimes. Can he be trusted? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you sealed the stone and set the guard? Will you sell your faith because it's safe? And here's the, here's the last piece of that. Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 10. It's the third group of people we'll see. We've seen the Pharisees. We've seen the Roman soldiers. Now we're going to see another, another group. And it's really, for scriptural times, it's really an unlikely group of people. It's Matthew 28, verses 5 through 10. But the angel said to the women, and I'm going to stop right there and just culturally highlight a few things. First off, because of the culture of this time frame, women were not educated. Women were not business leaders most of the time. And, and if you were trying to make up a story and lend credibility to the story, women are the last people you would tell in this culture. You'd tell men first, and you wouldn't just tell any men. You'd tell the most prominent men. You'd tell a king. You'd tell, you'd tell a ruler. You'd tell Pilate. You'd put it on open public display for all of the most moneyed, most powerful, most influential people in the world to see. Yet I think it's just a, an incredible testimony, both to the legitimacy of Scripture and the desire of God to elevate all people into this position of responsibility and this position of authority and this position of influence. And so in the moment of his resurrection, the first people to see it and the first people to preach it, to proclaim it, the first people to proclaim it, they were women. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said, come see the place where he lay, then go quickly. And tell his disciples, proclaim, that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and, and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to, uh, to go to Galilee. And there... They will see me. I just love the truth that here are these women who, they're disappointed. They're discouraged. They're doubting everything they've done for the past three and a half years. They followed this one man they believed to be Messiah, and now he's died on a cross, and it was a cruel death. Yet in the middle of it, they continued to walk with him, and in this moment, they risked their own lives to come prepare his body. So in spite of the doubts, in spite of the the discouragement in spite of all those things, here they are just trying to do the right thing. And in the middle of trying to do the right thing, they find 
the one true God who has risen from the dead. Look at that verse again, Matthew 28, 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. It's the last question. Will you seek the one who rose again? Will you seek the one who rose again? There's so many things I see in this particular part of the passage. We're really only going to talk about, uh, about a couple of them. But they, they, they saw his promise come true. They saw their doubts dispelled. They saw their sins forgiven. They saw the risen Savior. They saw him face to face. They held on to his feet and they worshipped him. They became the first to proclaim the good news that Jesus is risen. And it just reminds me of this truth. Here they are in the middle of this most difficult circumstance trying to be faithful. And their faithfulness gave them a front row seat to all the promises of God. Their faithfulness gave them a front row seat to all the promises of God. Where are you right now? Are you in the middle of a difficult time, a challenging time, a time where you're doubting things, a, a time when you're discouraged, when you feel lost or feel you alone? Can I, can I just encourage you, like these women, would you just hold on? Because faithfulness will give you a front row seat to all the promises of God. Will you seek the one who rose again? You see, that was the message they were sent to proclaim, right? Go tell the disciples to come find me in Galilee. Come find me. He says, and so they went and told, and guess what the disciples did? They went and found, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Will you seek the one who rose again? Matthew 28, 9 says, and behold, Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. And then finally, Matthew 7, 7 says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You know, there's something we've been praying for here, and it's that God would allow us to reach into this community with his gospel and help people find the one who is risen. And he's answering that question. And to be faithful to him, I hope, I wonder if, if we would be willing to get up and go to Galilee to come find him there. Would, be will, would, we willing, would we be willing to move our location? Isn't that what a missionary is? Someone who changes their location to share the resurrection with someone else? Would we be willing to change our location to share the, the resurrection with someone else? Would, would, we, we, would we be willing, you say that three times fast, would we be willing to adjust our schedule, to adjust our moments together, to adjust the, the, the language we're used to hearing and the language we're used to speaking, to seek the one who rose again, to proclaim the one who rose again? You see, there's three questions. Three questions on the table today. And every encounter with Christ moves you to choose. And so, what are your answers to those three questions? Will you seal the stone and set the guard? Will you sell your faith because it's safe? Or will you seek the one who rose again? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to step right over here to the side. And if you needed to talk with someone about what it means to place your faith in Christ, if you wanted to have this encounter with the resurrected Jesus and say, I trust in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, I would love to talk to you about it. There are other people who can talk with you as well. They're sitting all around you. All you have to do is look to someone and say, I'd like to know more about that. They'd be glad to visit with you about it. Maybe you already know Christ, or maybe you've been playing with your faith a little bit. You feel your heart hardening and, and you need to come to an altar and just say, I surrender. 
the, the altar will be open. Maybe you've been selling your faith because it's safe and you just simply need to confess and say, Jesus, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be one of those ones who proclaims your name well. I'm willing to do whatever you ask and to be faithful to whoever you are. So in this moment, you could do it right from your seat. You could do it at the altar. You could talk to someone. But as we respond through this song and worship him, move to choose how you'll react to this encounter with the resurrected Savior. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for you, for who you are, for what you've done, and for the reality that you are risen. You are risen indeed. You are alive today, and you live in the hearts and the minds and the lives of the believers who follow you. So I pray that today we would be faithful, no matter what we face the temptation to sell our faith, the temptation to doubt and despair, the temptation to disappointment. Father, I pray that you would help us to overcome each of those and that we would do that in the way that, 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 uh, that you have given us. Through